Welcome to the FBA Profits Show with your hosts Subi and Leland. Did you know 172 million people in the U.S. are expected to celebrate Halloween, spending over $2.4 billion on candy? Last year, 72% of parents admitted to stealing candy from their kids. Boo. Hi, welcome again to uh, FBA Profits. I'm Leland. I'm Zuby. Had to look at my name, make sure I got the right one this time. Uh, nice to see you. Nice seeing you as well. Yeah. For those who don't know, we're trying to record. I can see, I can actually see Zuby and behind him, if you're with us on the video, you can see a nice painting. I like that. Heading down well, I, I, you know, not, not to get too uh, uh, into past history, but uh, I tried doing a uh, test video from my office um, on Facebook and I posted it on my page and uh, the majority of the comments were about my background. Um, <laughs> I had my calendar back there <laughs> and uh, the, the kind of comments I got made me, led me to uh, say, you know what, I need to get a, uh, a painting. So uh, my wife was kind enough to go and uh, purchase me this painting recently. Excellent. Yeah, she did good. I was going to give you the compliment, but now it makes sense. Now I know why it looks nice. Yeah, no, I, I, my, my taste would have been uh, five dogs playing poker. <laughs> I think we talked about that. I suggested the one with the neon edging around it, right? And kind of strobe That's effect. Fine. All right. So today we're talking about pricing strategies. Right? I'm Amazon. glad you have notes in front of you. Dude, I need them nowadays. This heat's killing me. I can't remember anything. I mean, it might be age two, but um, pricing. So this is a, it can be a really massive, big topic, right? Because pricing strategies are incredibly important with what you're doing. There's different ones out there to just, you know, cover your costs plus a little bit. Uh, clearly, FBA is a little bit more complicated, especially if you're doing retail arbitrage or online arbitrage, because you're going to have additional costs associated with it. If you just do a Google search online, you're going to run into a lot of strategies by people who then want you to buy some type of product from them. Either it's data and you put in your information and it'll tell you where to price, or it's something that we've been talking about recently, which is the, the repricers. So the majority of what I saw out there was what I would call, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost a race to the bottom strategy with this little caveat to save them. And the strategy is this, be the lowest one, or if you really want to be tricky, be a percentage or two higher than the lowest one. So the joke is, if I do that, then you do that, then I do that. And we just keep going back and forth. And pretty soon, we're probably taking on losses and not knowing it so that we can continue to create revenue so we don't go out of business, race to the bottom, right? Right. And the way that these re repricers really, um, the, way, the way to ensure that you don't go to, to a loss is to set a minimum price based on the lowest amount of ROI that you're willing to take for that, uh, for that pro product. Um, but race to the bottom, the you know, penny down, penny down, um, is, is it's prevalent in the industry, it's prevalent in, on Amazon. Um, but it's such a, every seller hates it, but every seller has to do it almost because the other ones are doing it. It's like you, you can't um, rely on the others not to do it. Um, that's why it's important when you're, when you're setting a pricing strategy, it's important to look at both categories and uh, each specific item and each specific um, SKU that you're selling because 
if in your research, let's say you're looking at HIPAA and you're researching historical data on it, and you have you see that the price of this item has been selling at let's say twenty dollars for eight months straight, and now all of a sudden the price has come down to seventeen dollars, and you can see the step by step drop of that. Well, that's somebody else, at least one other seller coming on that listing and turning on a repricer, now competing against whoever was already selling on there who didn't have to turn on their repricer or the, their repricer kicked in. And they kept on going one below the other, one, cent, one penny below the other in, our, in, in an attempt to try to get the buy box. Um, what happens is if you just look at that and say, all right, so there's only, you know, two sellers at the lowest price, the rest are all up over $20. Let's just, if, if I'm a seller on that, I'll just wait, let the guy sell out on the, at $17 and it'll come right back to me. Um, if I'm trying to decide if I should purchase that product, well, yeah, if I can, you know, that seller is brand new, he might not come back, it's good. But if you're seeing that the price, there's 11 different people at the exact same price and one person, goes down by a penny, 10 others are going to go down by a penny. That is a recipe for disaster. It's, it's something that you will run into as a seller. It, it, it will, you will get stuck on products like that, especially fast selling products. Um, but you want to try to stay away from, from a price work. Uh, you want to try to stay away from a race to the bottom as much as you can. Um, I generally um, set my minimum price on my repricer higher than what my minimum ROI requirement usually is, simply because I don't want to race all the way down to the bottom. Um, so what, what and, and there's different, depending on which repricer you use, there's different tools or different, um, uh, um, uh, well, it, it's different uh, rules. That's what I'm trying to say, different rules you can set for um, each of uh, the products, whether you want to compete on buy box and match the, the lowest price, you want to compete on buy box and beat the lowest price by a penny. Um, if the buy box is suppressed, do you want to match the lowest price? Do you want to beat the lowest price? Um, so you should always try to, um, as a you know, long-term strategy, you, you don't want to beat the buy box price because as long as you match it, you should get your share of the buy box. But if, if one person has set their price, uh, their rule to go one cent below the, the lowest price, well then everybody else could have it to match the buy box price, but that one person is gonna continue to drop the price down. So it's important to understand the basics of how a repricer works. And it's important to set your prices so that you are not um, adding to the race to the bottom as much as possible. That's funny. So you're talking about the buy box and that was the one asterisk that of the, Hey, I do 1.5% higher than the lowest price, but it's only to get the buy box. Mm -hmm. And so I think intrinsic in here, and I have a side question to this, but I think intrinsic to here too is stability, right? So depending on your catalog, how much you are putting out there. And this is getting to the question because I know you have, we have a lot. Um, and you might not have the time to check every single one. And some of these services allow you to get alerts when certain things are happening and some don't. So it does require you to sort of 
do uh, inventory check of what else is happening. Why isn't it moving? But in my opinion, keeping some type of stable price, not moving this thing up and down all the time is a better strategy overall if it's not something that you're heavily competing against. And that's to your point, right? If there's 11 other people, this would be the same in any business, whatever you're doing. If there's a lot of competition, you got to be nimble. You got to know absolutely what's happening at any given moment, especially what your other competitors are doing and be ready for losses. Be ready to take it on the shins and say, okay, we're going to do this again. Let's just keep going. If it's a handful of other people, right? Don't you want to stay the course and not have you or the repricer just bouncing it up and down, up and down? If you can afford it, yes. Um, and, and the key there is, um, is cash flow, right? Because this business is, is driven by cash flow. So if you have sufficient cash flow to be able to replenish and send an inventory on a continuous basis, that, and you don't need those sales to really get that additional cash flow, then absolutely. But there will come times when you need cash. You need to have money come in because let's say four quarters around the corner and you really need to get these items sold so that you can go and buy the electronics and the toys and the things that really move on, on Q4 and you're trying to build up your cash reserves in order to purchase additional products for that season. Um, in that case, then yeah, you go back in and change your repricer so that you are, you know, lower your minimum ROI requirement and change it up. But in general, you definitely, um, especially on replenishable ones, products that you can replenish, you don't want to lower the price to the point where it just doesn't make sense. You have access to it, you know, try to, th th there is a, if, if the other sellers are uh, large enough sellers and they understand the market well enough, then they will see that, hey, he's not lowering his price. He's trying to share the buy box with me. Let me do it as well. You know, it's, it's not collusion because you're not talking to anybody about it. It's, it's actually you're helping other sellers to try to keep each other, you know, you're, you're competing, you're, you're getting the buy blocks and you're sharing the buy blocks, but you're not killing the price. You're not racing to the bottom uh, for it. Um, on the same lines, when you, there are a few times um, throughout the year where it's important for you to change the pricing rules that you have for your prices for your inventory. Um, the, the most important one is when you, you have to, on a monthly basis at, at the minimum, check your inventory to see which, if any of your inventory is coming up on long-term storage fees. Because if it's getting to 365 days or higher, now the storage fees go up so significantly that it absolutely does not warrant you keeping that inventory in stock. So either you remove that inventory or you change your pricing rules just to sell out um, because it's been sitting there for over a year. Amazon storage fees are minuscule for the first 12 months, but they really jump up after 12 months. So you want to change that up. Um, same thing for when Q4 comes up, right? The 75 cents per, per cubic feet uh, for the first nine months of the year is what Amazon charges you for their storage fees. For the last three months of the year, they charge $2.64 per cubic feet. It's a huge difference. So if you have items that are sitting there that you don't think are really Q4 material, like they don't sell on Q4 that well, well, take, get them out. Um, you know, Amazon won't let you send them back in for about three months, but you're still, you know, that's Q4. So get them out before Q4 kicks in and then send them back in in January. 
um, it also resets your 365 clock. So hmm. um, it's th those are the key times when you want to really look at your inventory and look at um, changing your pricing rules so that you can either resell them or just get rid of them and bring the inventory back. Um, other than that, um, if you don't if you don't have cash flow issues and you're getting sales, you know enough to be able to uh, replenish your inventory, don't do a race to the bottom. It's it's yeah. it's it's not beneficial as a business owner. But and it's it's funny we have we have the relationship between pricing and inventory because what you just described there was all about your inventory management and of course it's wrapped up with the cash flow. But you were starting to talk about seasonality of your sales and getting ready with capital for the end of the year or the, the Q4. So they're, they're, it's definitely linked uh, together. And I don't know, the way I was taught from some of the previous uh, business experiences is it's easy to change pricing going downward. It's much harder to go back to your clients and go higher. I mean, obviously like in the service world, that's almost impossible. Um, I don't know with retail, right? It, you know, it's, do, it's does anybody really notice it goes from 10 to 12 or 20 to 22, maybe not unless somebody priced it out. Like I'm thinking a lot of tech gear that, you know, you look at and you're like, Hey, that graphics card used to be 400. Now it's 450. I missed it. Right. And then maybe you don't buy, but um, you know, uh, down's always easier than, than up. Yeah. But in, in, with Amazon, um, one of the, one of the reasons why you want to pay for a third party repricer as opposed to getting just using Amazon's built in repricer, is that Amazon's built-in repricer only reprices down, whereas a, a third-party repricer also reprices up. So what that means is that when somebody that you're competing against and you're going down and down and down on price against, when they run out of inventory, your repricer will reprice it up to the next lowest seller's price. So that's, again, it's important for you as, as a seller. If, you have, if you're the second or the third uh, lowest price, Stay there because it will come to you um, and it will come one penny. If, if they've set it as one penny below, it will come one penny, but th that's within one and a half percent or one percent of the buy box and you will get your share of the rotation of the buy box. So it's important to, um, you know, ha the, 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 if you have enough uh, SKUs in your inventory, the, how much you pay for a third party repricer on a per month basis. And usually it's about 25 to $50 a month. It's well worth uh, that investment because of the pricing up. Yeah. I'm not sure whether to go story time where your repricer was too high on the upside. So when inventory uh. ran out to our competitors, <laughs> we wondered why we stopped selling that. I didn't know, but we'll, we'll leave that for another time. Well, so do, no, do check your since, numbers. Since you brought it up, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it because we just, okay. uh, you know, COVID was in March and, uh, a large number, over 100,000 uh, sellers got their accounts suspended um, in some manner uh, because of uh, overpricing errors. Um, and what a Amazon went in and said, hey, you're gouging, you're price gouging. And they weren't necessarily doing it intentionally. They had just set their uh, max price at 150% ROI or 250% ROI, never really expecting it to get there. But come March, when COVID happened and the rush to Amazon happened, everybody ran out of in, uh, inventory. And these guys were selling what, what normally was selling for $12 is now selling at $85. It's just it, it, ridiculous numbers. And they were selling. And then because they were selling at those prices, the buyers really started complaining. They had to buy it, whatever it might, you know, 
uh, Clorox wipes or whatever it was, toilet paper. They're buying it at these high prices, but they, every single one of them started complaining that, hey, this is price gouging. And so Amazon, you know, news came on board and then Amazon went in and started identifying product uh, accounts that were doing this. I know personally that one of the largest Amazon resellers that they, they do close to $80 million in sales a year, their account got suspended specifically because of this. So it, it could happen. So it's important to set your max price not too high, just in case something like that happens. I love how you did that. You just wove what you did as to being like everybody else did it. So it's totally, the biggest guy did it. So it's totally okay. Well done. So also within the pricing strategy, right? Um, white label is interesting because you can get into floor pricing and you can really set the tone. You can even get into really high, what I would consider sophisticated pricing techniques, which is looking for willingness to pay, what would somebody pay for this perceived value, like a painting versus I'm just gonna do my floor value plus whatever the profit margin is and get ready to move it. You can kind of start to set your own tone, especially if there's a lot of perceived value. I think that's a different conversation. And if you have something that fits that criteria and you're listening to us and wondering, call us, because I know both of us could go on and on about that. We can certainly help. We can certainly create models for somebody to, to really run with that. But I know one of the other strategies is, is dealing with temporary price drops, right? These are, I wouldn't say giveaways, but they're discounts, right? So if it's something new for you or new to the market, you can do temporary price discounts. And it allows you not to race to the bottom, but to say, hey, for this period of time, you're getting an additional 20 or 30% off. That can stimulate a lot of sales for you, but it allows you to bounce back, right? Yeah, and it's, those are, Amazon offers these deals, you know, the coupon deals, outlet deals. Um, they have a lot of different tools uh, to help sellers lower their price and make it cheaper for buyers to buy the prices. Generally speaking, I only use those things uh, personally when um, I'm trying to liquidate something. Uh, when I just, you know, I'm done with that product, I'm not going to reorder it, it's not going to get replenished, and I just want the, the, the money back. Um, because fr from an arbitrage perspective, it definitely doesn't make sense to pay for, for coupons and for advertising and whatnot. Uh, on a, from a wholesale perspective, it could, um, especially if you have an exclusivity. Um, or if there aren't any other or too many other sellers on that listing. Uh, so it could uh, make sense for you to go ahead and create some kind of a deal or a coupon, um, you know, just for a month or for a week, just to get the numbers, just to get the sales up um, and to get the BSR down. Uh, it definitely makes sense from a private label perspective, but that's a whole different conversation, like you said. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, th those, are, those are options available. Um, Again, if you have a large wholesale account that you have exclusivity with, it definitely makes sense to look at look at those strategies. Um, if you have items that you have a boatload of, you know, you have 10,000 of something and it's sitting in your warehouse or sitting in your garage and you can only send in 200 at a time, then yeah, it would definitely make sense because that's inventory you have to move and you have a lot of it. Um, so rather than lowering your price, just offer, you know, a 20% discount um, now Amazon has this option for Prime only discounts. That could also be, it's something that um, only Prime members will get, but the majority of the uh, people who are seeing the buy box are Prime members anyway. So it's, it, it really helps you get the buy box without really uh, doing the race to the bottom. 
Yeah, I mean, it's something you said that I forgot to mention too here is part of the key of this, of course, is the buy box, but embedded in that is that is the the bestseller ranking. The mm-hmm. lower that number goes, the more likely you're going to get the price that you want and more likely you have the buy box if you're driving that. So that's one of the other considerations in there is the goal of your pricing is to make sure that that BSR is getting lower, which means you're heading, you know, um, it's, it's also why it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's a good strategy. If you, if you can find products that Amazon sells, but they run out of stock on regularly. So, because with their pricing, they lower the, their price to a point where the BSR goes through the roof. I mean, it just, it becomes 5,000 or 1,000. And, when they run out, it's those that that ASIN still comes up when people search for it because that BSR is so low. So then it's selling at your price. You know, I, I have a number of products that, um, you know, they might sit there for a month or two months or even five six months, but when they do sell, they're called long term long tail inventory. When they do sell, you're making 100 150 percent, and they sell like that like right away because of the fact that Amazon has brought it so brought the BSR so low that it always pops up when somebody searches for that term. This is not part of the topic, but I got to ask that because I don't know when this situation is going to come up. So you're talking about the long tail inventory that you or product that you grabbed or have. And when you brought up this topic of the, when Amazon is the king of whatever this category of product is when they run out. Right. So that to me, that seems like a mixture of, uh, I don't know, panning for gold and playing the slots that it's going to take a very specific situation for it to happen. I can't imagine that there's lists being generated just for that. It seems uh, to know that Amazon's going to run out is too um, variable, too random. So how did you end up with those products? Was it a random situation or something that you foresaw? Well, that's where Keepa comes in, right? Keepa is such a great tool in that it shows you historically when Amazon was in stock and when they ran out of stock. And what, what the goal is, as you're doing your research, you want to find those products where Amazon's in stock and then there's white, whites in between that chart, right? And, and there's a lot of white in between that chart. And it's something that happens regularly and has happened that way for the last year or two years or three years or how long, however long that product has been on there. Uh, so you can see that the demand is so high that Amazon just can't get enough of it. And they, it's not like it's just because of COVID that they ran out of stock, that it's something that has been happening regularly. So that that is one of those times when you can purchase that product. I mean, don't go too deep because you don't know how far, but you want to have that product in there because as soon as they sell out at $9, it's going to sell at $19 for you. So I think you just gave some intermediate uh, FBA strategy there. So I appreciate that in answering the question for everybody that that was a freebie if you didn't realize it. Um, tell me, so I think for us in our the conversation of the pricing, we almost went to the same direction that all the Google returns came to, which is having the repricer if you have a lot of SKUs is absolutely necessary. Otherwise, you're doing it on your own and it requires research, which, you know, if you're not allergic to it, you're going to do anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So if we came to the same conclusion, 
you want to give a couple of repricers uh, some free shout outs for those who are listening, or are you just going to have people have to call you on their private phone? I, I, you know, <laughs> I can tell you which ones I use and, and yeah. which ones we like, but I'll, I'll tell you this much. Um, I think this is important when it comes to determining which repricer you, uh, you use. And if you, if you get in touch with us, I will gladly tell you which ones we use and, and which ones uh, we recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the differentiating factor between repricers to me for arbitrage sellers um, is, you know, whether you pay $25 a month for something or $125 a month for something comes to how quickly they reprice, uh, whether it's repricing every five minutes, every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes. The faster reprices, you know, the, 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 the greater your chances of keeping the buy box or having the buy box longer. Um, but it's also the fact if, if two people have 15 minute repricers or two people have 55 minute repricers, then it's just that, that much faster that the price is going to drop down to somebody's minimum. Um, so that, that is the biggest factor. There's other factors as well. You know, some repricers really have um, additional tools and, and data points that you can uh, tailor specifically. But for our audience, I think the m- most important one is how fast is the repricer repricing? Um, rule of thumb, 15 minute repricers are great. Um, you know, you don't, the five minute repricer, in my opinion, is not worth the value of what you're getting. They're way too expensive for what they offer. Um, if you are a huge seller, yeah, that's, you don't want to reprice as fast as possible to get as much sales as possible. But, um, you know, the 15 minute repricer does the job perfectly. You will definitely see a bump in your sales if you've been selling for a while and you have inventory that's been sitting there. Um, and it really takes a lot of the time. Before we got our repricers, I was sitting there on a weekly basis going through our entire inventory one by one and che- mm. checking the pricing. But this just it saves it so much. We just, the one we use also does uh, uh, international markets, certain intra- international markets, and we just expanded internationally. So I paid for those ones as well, even though we don't have as many SKUs there. It does make sense to have them, even though I'm not, you know, they're not generating nearly the kind of returns that the .com or the U.S. marketplace is generating. It does make sense to have repricers. So just to recap, when pricing, right? So we're really focused on OA and uh, uh, wholesale. Wholesale, and think about your floor, right? You have the bottom, the lowest that you can go, and. I, the last bit of advice I would give is make sure you understand that number. It's more than just what you bought it for or how much it was to show up at your warehouse or the garage or wherever your base of operation is. It's more than just that. Make sure you have your fees covered. Make sure you're thinking ahead. Does this become a long tail? Something that storage may be a factor. So you want to make sure you cover that too. So if all of those numbers add up to where you're competing, then you've done something right. And if you're going to start going lower and trying to compete with the lowest, uh, make sure you know what you've gotten yourself into. Because I think we jumped much like the online ones do, they go right into the repricer. And you know that you, we always have to be cognitive of where is that bottom? And when I hit it, what are the consequences? Uh, as one of my mentors said, when we price something and it was uh, at a loss, one penny per unit, and he said, don't worry about it. We're going to make it up in volume. And the right joke is with volume, you're going to lose more. Yeah. So just understand where you are 
with uh, all of that. Anything to, to well, along, add? Along that, that exact same line, um, setting your minimum price is important, but having an understanding of what your average selling price is and then having, and I, I know we've talked about this previously, having a high um, average selling price, ASP goal. Um, so if you have uh, a goal of having your average selling price across your entire sales, across all your inventory to be $20, um, then you don't want to price as your minimum price too many of your uh, products under $20 or under way under $20 um, because then you're, you're defeating your own goal that you have set. So it, it, you know, th there's a lot of pegs that, that, that go together here and, and it's important to keep all of them in mind when you're setting a pricing strategy. Uh, but the most important one is to have a pricing strategy. Don't just let it be there. Hey, you know, whatever it is, is going to happen. I just want to get the sales. That's not really a viable business strategy for growth and, and, and profitability. Uh, but having a, a good ASP, you know, knowing what your ASP is and, and, and having a goal of raising that ASP actually helps you with your uh, pricing strategy as well because now it, it sort of focuses you on, all right, these products are really selling at way below my ASP. If I set my minimum at this price, even though I'm going to get 30% or 40% ROI at this minimum, it's, it's defeating my goal of having a high ASP. So therefore, I'm not going to keep it. Let's, can I make this into a longer tail and wait for it? And if you can and you do and you are able to sell it at 80% ROI instead of 40%, it's a win-win situation for you. Agreed. So if you're listening to this and you have questions, you're wondering what's happening, you know, visit us at proasins.com. We have uh, the Facebook group, which is profitable, uh, profitable ASINs or profitable Pro FBA. No, the, the Facebook group has a different name. We might want to talk about the brand on that a little <laughs> bit, bringing it all together, but reach out to us because we can certainly discuss it more in detail. And uh, you know, if you have any questions, you can, ping us on that. Any other things you want to cover with uh, pricing, my friend? I think we did a good job. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to FBA Profits. Visit our website www.fbaprofits.us 